way you do it You play the guitar on the MTV That ain't working, that's the way you do it Money for nothing and your chicks for free Now that ain't working, that's the way you do it Let me tell you Welcome everyone to this special edition of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. We are here to talk about FFP and uh, this is where I'm very, very honoured to have a couple of accountants as podcast mates on the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Let's welcome them first of all. Uh, the main man we have with us is uh, Colin Savage, King of the Kipax writer, football financial expert, of course, and City Matters Committee member. How are you doing today, uh, Colin? Yeah, fine. Saturday, isn't it? And uh, I'm just relaxing at home. But um, obviously, uh, funnily enough, having written my King of the Kipax article, the deadline was Monday night. Of course, everything then happened during the week, during the following week. So the Bernardo case and the uh, this we're going to talk about now. So, of course, um, missed the deadline for actually getting those in the current edition. But it gives me something to write about for the, to the, in the next one. That's right. Things are happening so uh, so quickly. Things are changing. Lots of information coming coming through. We also have another accountant here. We have Ray. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing very well, Mike. Thanks for destroying the image I've created by mentioning <laughs> that I'm an accountant. You know, I thought I got away from that a few years back, but uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, I've been obviously... It's one of those things, isn't it? It's international break. You think it's going to be quiet. You might watch the England game, but you're not that massively fussed. Uh, they're going to qualify anyway. It's, it's, you know, and you're thinking, how am I going to fill my days with with the videos about City and live streams and where are we going to get anything to talk about? And uh, it just seems like every single day there's been some, you know, I think quite explosive news every single day. And it's still it's rolled on into the weekend. So uh, there's no chance to have a rest. And it's just, you know, uh, keep your nose uh, nose down and, and keep working. Let's go over to uh, Colin. Now, Colin, something that has been uh, tucked in bed for quite a while has been the whole FFP thing, although, of course, Duncan Castles does his best to bring it up in every single podcast episode of his pod just to keep it uh, going. But I think if you could just uh, fill us in on uh, how you got wind that... Uh, things were beginning to move on this issue recently once again? Well, um, uh, probably like everyone else, when we first saw uh, The Athletic, I think you said you'd heard it in Mail Online, but uh, The Athletic seemed to break it. Uh, and it was a guy, I forget who it was, he's, he's a Grimsby fan, but he picked it up first and Sam Lee picked it up. So that was uh, Thursday night. So everyone was expecting something to happen on Friday. Things moved in a slightly different direction on Friday because the court for arbitration is sport rather than UEFA made an announcement. At this stage, I think it's just worth recapping on the whole history of this issue so so people have got the full the full story. Obviously, FFP came into force at the beginning of the 2011-12 season. The first assessment was carried out after the 2012-13 season on the first two years accounts under FFP. Normally it would have been three, but for that reason, for that particular assessment, it was two. We failed and were issued with sanctions in 2014, about May 2014. I've written at depth, at great length and in great depth about the reason about why I believe we failed. To try and summarise it in a few words, 
It's because UEFA had introduced a provision in the initial regulations that would allow failed FFP because of wages paid under certain circumstances if those had been the sole cause of losses. Now, I've since found out that we had a number of conversations with UEFA over this. These only apply to the 2012 accounts, by the way. We had a number of conversations with UEFA over this while the 2012 accounts were in the course of preparation. UEFA assured us that that what we were doing was in line with what they intended and that uh, we met the criteria for, for being able to claim mitigation. As soon as we published those 2012 accounts, UEFA then changed its rules, which meant that now we weren't in line with the regulations. So uh, basically, we had then no get out. So City were obviously a little bit annoyed about this. Uh, they felt they'd been taken for mugs by UEFA. And whether UEFA did that deliberately, you know, led us into a trap, we, we may never know. That's what they did. So, so there wasn't a lot of goodwill between the club and UEFA. There was a lot of negotiating behind the scenes to sort out the terms of the uh, settlement agreement for, for failure, which we did, obviously. Uh, and it was made clear that, we're, that the chairman's phrase was, we would take a pinch to make this go away. So five years later, or just over four years later, De Spiegel produced their uh, series of articles on hacked emails. And p- people use the term leaks. They weren't leaks. They were hacks. Uh, and I can tell you that from an unimpeachable source that we were hacked. So our documents were stolen from our servers. Many of these or some of these were published in De Spiegel with, with the intent of showing that we deliberately deceived UEFA about the source of certain funding. UEFA sat on this for about November, December, about four or five months, and then decided they were going to reopen the investigation into our 2012-13 financial fair play failure. It's, It's important to note that they weren't looking at anything new. So it was solely going back to the uh, events that they sanctioned us for in 2014. And there is a statute of limitations within UEFA's FFP regulations that says you can't bring charges five years after, more than five years after the event. The original sanction was April 2014. So that meant that UEFA, if they were going to lay any charges, had to do that by April 2019. And they only opened the investigation in March 2019. UEFA handed that investigation to its higher chamber with with about a day or two to spare. Uh, and City's complaint was that this had been done in a rush and UEFA had not followed due process and heard all the evidence that we had prepared that would prove our innocence in this. So City, as a result, they lodged an appeal with the Court for Arbitration in Sport. Now, that was a strange thing to do on the surface because uh, again, as we'll probably talk about when we talk about CAS, CAS normally wouldn't get involved at that stage because they insist uh, for, for any sport they have an arbitration agreement with, they insist that all other legal avenues have been pursued before they will hear a case. So as UEFA hadn't actually made a decision, then in theory, we had no right to appeal to CAS. Now, CAS have been sitting on this for since I think we uh, appealed in June, early June, late May, early June, which is unusual because they could have rejected it in five minutes. They could. Have, uh, our understanding is that the case has gone to uh, UA, is still within UEFA. UEFA hasn't handed down a final decision. We we are we will not hit, hear this appeal until such time as you wish to bring it after that 
final decision has been handed down. So, so that's all very odd to start with. UEFA in the meantime have made no decision. And all of a sudden, just to bring us back to kind of the last few days, on Thursday night we hear that City, uh, there's a leak that City won't be facing a ban, may be facing a fine, may not even be facing a fine from UEFA. And the next day we hear that Kaz uh, has said it will not hear our appeal. So, so it may be complete coincidence that those two announcements came out at the same time, but there may also be a, a high degree of um, causality between the two, and I think we'll go on to talk about that. There's something about this, Ray, that stinks to high heaven, isn't there? Because when you think of that uh, five-year period yeah. of, of, of limitation, it seemed unholy haste, didn't it? The, it seemed that the Der Spiegel articles that were published, the Der Spiegel publication and those journalists seemed to have been leading U UEFA by the nose to get something done before this five-year period uh, expired, don't you think? Absolutely, it would. You know, it's like uh, it's like Prince Andrew telling you a story, and, and you're thinking it's got any semblance on reality. Uh, I think that's how law, with such low regard, you 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 know you you look at the surroundings to all this. As as, as um, Colin has said, it was five years, almost to to the limit, uh, and it was a, a rush job. Everything just seemed to come out very very quickly, and you'd have thought that you know. If if they had these um, footy leaks, they must have had this the footy leak stuff for for ages. You'd have thought because it was all there. You'd expect a lot of it to have been stolen around the same time, and so they took taken a lot of time um, for Dave Spiegel or how, whoever it was um, to get this out in the, into the open, and then for uh, UEFA to suddenly say, "Oh, we need to actually do something about this," and I'm not sure how. How seriously and how much they actually thought about it, whether just, you know, it looks like uh, they did it very quickly uh, and without much thought. Because if you stand back and, you, you know, like I think we did at the time and say, well, is there anything they can actually do City for besides just lying to them? And, 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 and the lies, would they have actually made any difference to the final outcome? I'm not sure they would if City had told the truth from the start. It, you know, maybe our loss would have been even even greater at the time, and we were going to fail FFP. And they made sure we failed FFP anyway, so what difference did it make? So it does smell, and it does smell funny. Well, Colin, there are, as you've explained before, but I hope that you'll explain again, uh, there, are, there are two chambers in the UEFA FFP organisation, and they have uh, two different roles, don't they? And perhaps you could explain how uh, cases move from one to the other. Yeah. Uh, in terms of UEFA, yeah, UEFA, let's, let's take a step back. We're talking about something called the Club Financial Control Body, which is UEFA's uh, mechanism for managing the financial issues within the game. So, And obviously, FFP comes under their remit. Within the CFCB, there are two uh, bodies. There's the, the, the lower chamber, if you want, which is called the investigatory chamber. And that is a UEFA-staffed body. As, as far as I'm aware, the people that make up the investigatory chamber are UEFA delegates from various countries. Then there is the higher chamber, which is the adjudicatory chamber, and that is made up of external people. So these are people who are not U UEFA delegates, tend to be judges, accountants, football administrators, whatever. Now, you, if, you're, if you're kind of English or, or, or British, 
you can compare it to the court system we have in this country, where we have a magistrate court as a lower court uh, and the crown court as a high. So all, all, all cases, all criminal cases will originate before a magistrate's court. And the magistrate's court can, can choose to hear those cases in its own right. If it hears the case and f- finds a guilty verdict, and there's no jurors involved in magistrate's cases, just the magist- three magistrates. It, but if they, if they find the defendant guilty, they may then decide that the range of punishments, lesser range of punishments they have open to them is not sufficient for the severity of the case. So they can then refer the case to the Crown Court for sentencing. They can also look at a case and decide that they are not competent to hear it. So it's, it's, it's more serious than the range of cases they would normally hear. And then they, they can send the case to the Crown Court without even hearing it. So that, that's what they call a committal proceeding, basically. Uh, the magistrates' court say, either say, well, we've heard the case, you're guilty, we, we, we can't, what we think is a strong enough sentence, or we've seen the details of the case, it's not a case that we feel falls within our remit, therefore it's going to the Crown Court for trial. Then the case goes to the Crown Court. And of course, if the Crown Court comes to a verdict, then uh, you can appeal that. So that's kind of the investigatory chamber and the adjudicatory chamber. Investigatory chamber, chamber has a look at the case, it has a range of sanctions open to it, although these aren't actually specified. So there's no, I think there is a limit on the on the amount of fines they can total, but it, it's kind of a little bit vague on what they can do. But they've got a lower, lesser range of sanctions than the adjudicatory chamber has. To step back to the 2014 case, that case didn't go to the adjudicatory chamber. So there, there are a number of outcomes from the investigatory chambers, I, as I, if I recall rightly. One is they can find no case to answer. They can they can find there is a case to answer, but they aren't going to issue a, a punishment. They can find there is a case to answer and they can issue a, a punishment within their remit or they can come to a negotiated settlement. So there was a lot of talk in the Spiegel about secret settlements being done behind closed doors. You know, all this smoke filled room type nonsense you, used to, you get in politics. This was presented as somehow a shady deal, when in fact it was a negotiated settlement was well within the remit of the investigatory chamber. The threat was if we couldn't come to a negotiated settlement, then the case would be passed to the adjudicatory chamber who could impose a higher punishment. So that was UEFA's threat, if you like. The original case, 2014, never got to the adjudicatory chamber. The investigatory chamber can't impose a competition ban. So if they're recommending that, the case then has to go to the adjudicatory chamber. And that, from the leaks, that appears to have been what's happened in this case. It, it was the Der Spiegel, it was the, the, the other details, uh, Ray, in the Der Spiegel allegations, the, the stolen um, emails and, and communications, etc., that got the ball rolling again, because we thought this was all over and done with. We had failed financial uh, fair play. We had taken our medicine or taken... The pinch, as, as Colin reminded us, and the whole thing was uh, was over and done with. But apparently, there seems to have been a will within the within football circles at the higher levels that this wasn't to be the end of it, and City were not going to get away with a, a little pinch like that. Without going through all the Der Spiegel claims, um, I mean, they came out to this fanfare with their reporting, um, and obviously, they, a lot of it seemed to be aimed at City. There were bits and pieces aimed um, at other football clubs here and there. You know, they might just uh, touch on to Bayern Munich, but very, very minimal, I think, compared to 
uh, what was going on, uh, the attempts to basically badmouth City. And and that's what it appeared like. And I think that's what uh, Khaldun and, and a City statement said in slightly more eloquent terms than I've used. Uh, but it was a concerted effort uh, to, to, to damage the, uh, the club. And some, I mean, their speaker were claiming that City had lied to UEFA about the true source of sponsorship income and hidden some of the costs from the FFP calculation back in, I think, 2012-13, that sort of time. Um, that's, uh, I think Colin will know what the exact date is better than me, but that, that sort of time, where, which had already been, you know, we'd already filled the FFP. It, it was uh, just about to fall out of uh, jurisdiction, not jurisdiction, but the, the five-year time um, frame. There was talk of, um, I think it was £51.5 million that was supposed to have been paid by our main sponsors, Etihad Airways. That was actually paid by ADUG, which is uh, the Abu Dhabi United Group. I think they were the vehicle that took over City all those years ago. And so there, there were claims that this, you know, some financial school duggery was going on there. There was talk of a thir- £30 million paid over a period of time to Roberto Mancini, who was, uh, uh, as you well remember, the, the manager of uh, Manchester City. And he brought us our first silverware in 30-odd years. Um, and, I mean, that's to do with contracts he had as a, as a consultant or an advisor to a club out in the Middle East. And there were, there were links um, trying to put the two together. And, in fact, I think it was Rob Harris who brought that up at the uh, post-match press conference at the FA Cup final when we beat Watford 6-0. Uh, what an opening question from Rob Harris. Um, to talk, to bring that up after we've just completed domestic treble. And uh, Pep was quite uh, reasonably, <laughs> quite rightly irked uh, by the line of questioning. Another thing they, they brought up was players' image rights. So there was lots more, you know, stuff that it was, it was written in a sensationalist, dramatic manner. Um, and as I think as Colin has said in the past uh, a few times, uh, that it was selective, it's very selective, and context was missing. And obviously, context is very, very important. Um, you know, you can't just pick and choose what you're going to release uh, and, and just look for the salacious or bad bits or miss words out or, or something. And I'll give you an example on a slightly different thing. When um, Raheem Sterling had his gun tattoo, and he put out a statement, and Sky went, you know, copied this statement, but they inserted the word again, you know, uh, it's something about I will never um, touch um, uh, guns or something like that. And they put the word again in. Now, that wasn't by accident. That was deliberate. So they deliberately changed the context of the whole statement, that whole paragraph, by adding that one word. And it's the same. The speaker were picking and choosing what they wanted. If they made a mistake in their understanding, then all the journalists that were basically copying uh, what they uh Put out, and all the fans and all the, and anybody else interested, uh, just about everybody was accepting what Despiegel said as fact or based upon facts uh, or, or very strong facts. And as I said, if they got something wrong, people believed that they'd got it right. And we've seen subsequently Despiegel have been caught at, caught with their pants down for some reporting that was just made up. Uh, case in America, other issues they've had as well. Um, so, yeah, it was just, as I said, a very sensationalist uh, series of articles. And just some of it was just basically to get at City. 2014, we failed FFP. Uh, we took our punishment. Uh, I don't seem 
to recall a big uh, hoo-ha about it, apart from a sense of smug journalistic satisfaction about the fact that we'd failed four years go by. You don't hear anything more about it until these um, Der Spiegel articles are uh, published. In your view, who were the driving forces behind a, a decision to get this case uh, reopened? And, and perhaps you could take it from there. Well, uh, well, uh, the media, for a start, were screaming for this. You realise that Rick Parry is a senior um, figure at UEFA. David Gill is UEFA treasurer. You hear the stories that United and Liverpool are the ones behind, uh, the, you know, the consistent, constant and consistent media bashing of us. You, you kind of do wonder what the hell's going on. And, and interestingly, I, I know some City fans don't have a lot of time for David Conn, but I trust David Conn more than I trust most other journalists. He's not beholden to anyone as far as I, I've ever been aware. So, so you get the straight story from him. You may not like what he says, but you get the straight story. And he came up with intriguing. Um, he actually was talking to people at UEFA. He wrote a story that UEFA weren't at all keen to reopen this investigation, having been through it once before. And um, when you think about it, UEFA is an immensely political organisation. It's not it's not a dictatorship. It's a group comprised of representatives from the major leagues and, and the major clubs within those leagues. So everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's got an angle. A lot of members, both in, in the national associations, the national leagues, and, and the teams within those leagues. You know, as we know, there's a lot of jealousy about our, our rise to fame and fortune in the last few years. So, so UEFA has to play a game. If UEFA was a dictatorship, it might have said, look, you know, this is stupid. We've do, we, we saw this case in 2014. Nothing you've said would make a difference. City still failed. End of story. But UEFA's probably got people, you know, we've seen some of the Bayern stuff that comes out. So you've probably got, you know, people from the German side and, and you've probably got uh, people like Parry and Gill whispering in, in um, Alexander Seferin's ear about you've got to do something about this. And, and uh, Javier Tebas at, at La Liga, one, one of our old admirers, of course, you've got to do something about this. So UEFA have had to tread a fine line because on the one hand, they've got people whispering in one ear, Oh, you know, got to take firm action. On the other hand, you've got Caldoun whispering in the other ear, you try anything and we'll see you in court. And the interesting thing, actually, is just to just to digress a little bit. When, when the case originally came, uh, the punishment originally came out in 2014, the club were clearly annoyed and, and court was going to court was one of the options on the table. Now, now whether that was a threat or whether it was genuine, uh, UEFA certainly had to be wary about that. Now, I suspect the reason that neither side wanted to go to court was because when you do go to court, you have to reveal a lot of documentation. The documentation that appeared in the Spiegel would probably come out from our side, which City claim they've done nothing wrong in, from that point of view, but it might have been very embarrassing, might have affected our case. On the other hand, UEFA would have to produce the documentation and, and we'd be able to go into the rationale behind their change of uh, their, their continued insistence or, or agreement that we were on course to meet the uh, get-out clause, if you like, the uh, transitional arrangement, and, and then shown that they completely reversed that. So, so that could have been a killer for them. The documents that people like De Spiegel, and there may have been other stuff in there, we don't know, uh, that would that might have been a killer for us. So 2019, all our stuff's come out. It's all on the table, but UEFA have still got stuff to hide. Uh, so I, I think UEFA would have good reason not to want to inflame 
the situation any more than it does. But like any politician, it's got to be seen to be doing something, even if it doesn't really want to be do, do something. And even if it doesn't want the outcome to be what the people whispering in its left ear uh, are, are telling it it needs to be. And was there an official announcement um, that you can recall um, that the case was being reopened and they were looking into it again? And approximately yes. when, when yes. was that? That was beginning of March 2019. Mm-hmm. So uh, 6th or 7th of March, the first week in March, uh, when the announcement was made. So they've been looking at this since November, since article, October, November, since those articles had appeared. And, and again, you can you can imagine someone saying, look, if you're going to do this, if you're going to get you've got to get it in by April. I may have said it earlier. If I didn't say it, if I did say it, I apologize. If I didn't say it, I'm going to say it again. The fact that they've got to get it in within the five years very clearly indicates this only relates to that period. It doesn't relate to anything subsequent to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really got to make that clear that the implication that, that the Spiegel put out. And again, this is about context was that we were continuing to fiddle the books when, in fact, we weren't. But everything hinged around the 2013 financial year because we thought we were okay in 2012 because UEFA told us we were okay until they changed the rules. So we knew what we had to do in 2013. You know, so, yeah, City played a, probably played a little bit fast and loose in 2012-13 financial year, getting every bit of revenue they could into the books because – they knew what they had to achieve. So, so I, I'd, I'd said it in King of the Kipacks, I think, that they had to report a loss below 55 million uh, and they would be able to use the provisions in Annex 11, Section 2, uh, which they did. I think it was about 53 million that, that loss they reported. So, again, once we got through that period, we were clear of FFP anyway, uh, because um, for, for two reasons. One is because UEFA imposed a set of sanctions with targets that we had to meet in the next financial years, which we did. And secondly, we got through the hump of having to pump money in. So, you know, once the Champions League money started coming in, then uh, once the commercial revenues started getting higher, then we, we had no need to try and play fast and loose or or cook the books. Let, let's use that phrase. But I, I don't think we did, but we had no need to make every effort to get every penny in because the, the money was coming in on its own by that point. So, again, this is all about well, 2040, which was why they had to meet that five-year statute of limitations. So, so you can imagine someone whispering in their ear saying, look, unless you can find anything new, you've got to do this within five years. So it's March before they actually reopen the investigation and they've got to finish it within about six weeks, basically. Otherwise, they're in trouble. And this is it, uh, Ray, isn't it? Because you've got you've got basically all the ingredients for a rush job uh, there, and and this this is basically the 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 bone of contention for for City and their lawyers. If if, that was one of one of the points, I mean, they rushed it through in in, in the space of a few weeks. Uh, As Colin said, if they didn't get it done uh, in in within the time frame, then they couldn't. You know, then the the five years would have been up. And then they couldn't come back to it. And we saw with the PSG case uh, earlier, uh, I think this year, where whatever the the the, the, the situation was, you, UEFA didn't uh, um, act within its own specified uh, period of time, within its own guidelines. So the, uh, PSG went for whatever the case was. Now went to uh, you know, the court uh, for arbitration spot, and uh, they they actually threw they actually won their case. 
And some people said you know, it could have quite easily been UEFA deliberately. How can such a huge organisation, a multi-million, you know, billion-pound organisation with all these managers and, and, and consultants and auditors and whatever, how could they not do the case against PSG in time? So there, there was that whisper that uh, they'd just done it deliberately. Um, and, and, and this one as well, they, they've had to rush it through. I think City were very unhappy, which is why they did this preemptive appeal to, to Cass as well, to say, look, we've just sent them over 100 documents, 100 pages of documents, and in, in the space of a few weeks, um, they've managed to have, have a go at us and, and actually do this before the deadline. So you could tell it was a rush job. And uh, City obviously weren't happy with, with what had gone on. Um, and, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I think reluctant, I think UEFA were reluctant to reinvestigate, to open that uh, uh, investigation again, as, as Colin has said, to what they and everybody else and City had thought were, were historic events and that they were gone. Um, but I think the pressure has definitely come from, from various leagues, from various clubs within those leagues to do something. And UEFA, I'm hoping, uh, and this is why I thought early on, it's just, I wouldn't call it window dressing, but it, they've just been seen to have done something. They've had to respond, even though possibly they knew it was an absolute waste of time. Possibly they were worried about the threats that Khaldun had probably made the first time when we'd felt the pinch. And he said, you know, you try something on again and we'll sort you out this time. Because I think he, in the statements that he's made or City have made um, after Dispy Eagle and after the stuff with UEFA, he seems like he really means business this time and he's not going to take any messing about. So UEFA do anything to, to try, try to do anything to City. I think this will go to court. And so possibly UEFA are worried about that. And, you know, they'll end up either letting City off on a technicality, which kind of um, absolves them and, and still implies City have got some guilt, which I don't think City would, would be happy with that either. I think City just want to be uh, off scot-free, no, uh, you know, black mark, further black mark against our character. Um, yes, it won't appease Senor Tebas in La Liga. It won't appease... Some of the American owners, I, I guess, in 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 England, um, but I think UEFA are going to have to go uh, down the pragmatic line because they don't want to go to court. It's going to it is going to cost too much, whether they win, lose, or draw. And, and as I said, I think UEFA, we're all our skeletons are now out the closet yeah. because through the Spiegel, UEFA have managed to keep their skeletons in the cupboard. But if they, I, I suspect they don't want to go to court because those skeletons will come out. Colin, the, the next step, of course, after the case was reopened was uh, not long after that, we heard that the case was indeed being passed up the chain to the uh, the adjudicatory uh, chamber. And um, people began to talk about potential punishments and, uh, and bans and things like this. This is one of the most bizarre aspects because uh, you, you're talking about the sentence before the trial has happened. Um, now, you, can can you just take us back to that um, that time when it was announced that uh, that it was going to the adjudicatory chamber um, uh, and that you, we we were looking at serious possible uh, penalties? Well, um, let's all remember this was leaks. There was nothing official. Uh, sorry, the, the news about bans was via leaks, uh, and as we all know, journalists have their favourite sources. So, uh, Tariq Panja. Uh, who works for the New York Times, was first to break a lot of these. His source is David Gill. Everyone in the industry knows that. Um, th there were sources who were being fed by Liverpool. So 
we, we don't know 100% it was them, but the, the, the clear implication it was if Tariq Panja's breaking a story, he's got it from David Gill. If, if, if they're leaking, then that completely undermines UEFA's confidentiality rules. Now, as I said earlier about the, the two chambers, the investigatory chamber has a much more limited range of sanction than the adjudicatory chamber. So it may have recommended a competition ban, but it couldn't impose that. So the adjudicatory chamber had to impose that, had to, it had to be the one to impose that. That's why it had to get passed. But again, you know, we're into this UEFA. And again, we'll talk about what may have gone on in the interim period. Speculation, maybe informed speculation, but speculation nonetheless. It, again, it may be UEFA wanting to sound hard, but actually ending up a lot of um, heat and noise being generated by both sides, including City, and then ending up in a fairly anodyne you know, end result. We don't know, but we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Everything then went quiet um, uh, for a while, and then we heard, of course, the, the next step was that City had made a, a preemptive um, application to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. As Colin mentioned right at the top of the pod, that seemed uh, a little bit strange uh, because, of course, no decision had been made by the judic- adjudicatory chamber with regard to City's uh, uh, guilt or innocence. Uh, you know, uh, it's, even City fans were a little bit um, uh, confused, but uh, about why we did that, it just seemed like a a little bit of a of a of a move because basically the the club were unhappy with the undue haste with which the documents they had submitted had been looked at they 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 were they were calling them up colin i i i believe on on due process and due diligence that that would be your understanding too wouldn't it uh, regarding the court yeah, of, just, the court of arbitration for sport yeah i uh, just to explain about cas it's a body it's not just a football body it's not affiliated to ufa it's completely uh, ufa is completely independent it's um it, it deals with uh, all sorts of sports, so swimming, cycling, athletics. It's been involved in the doping scandals um, and football. And to go to CAS, basically your your governing body has to have an uh, arbitration agreement. So it's for arbitration. It's not. It's a mediation service, an arbitration service. It's not a court of law, despite the fact it's called the court for arbitration in sport. So, for example, it doesn't. Re- it, it it wouldn't take a view on the validity of financial fair play, for example. But it, it does rule on how cases like ours might have been dealt with via financial fair play. So, yeah, as you've rightly said, it's about process rather than the law itself. So it's entirely independent. Where you've exhausted all internal, i.e. internal to UEFA uh, lines, then you may take your case to the Court for Arbitration in Sport. The Court for Arbitration in Sport likewise says it will not hear any appeals until all other legal avenues have been exhausted. We we come to the really interesting part, Ray. Pretty much any impartial observer would have expected the following response from the the Court of Arbitration for Sport in in very short order. I'm sorry, guys, there's nothing much we can do about this because the case hasn't even been resolved yet. But they didn't. They bunkered down. And what what on earth have they they been doing until now? (laughs) Well, your, your guess is as good as mine. Because we we just don't know why it's taken what five or six months for them to come out and say anything. Um, and, and as Colin has said, and then you've you've reiterated, they, they could have just turned around and said, "Look, it's um, you know exhaust all your um, uh, 
appeals or the, the, the due process with your governing body, which is UEFA, and, and if you're not happy, then you come to us. It's like uh, something, uh, it's arbitration, it's, it's something, it's not, as Colin said, a court, but it's like, you're, it's the last resort. Once you've exhausted everything, then come to us and we'll have our say. There's no point coming to us when there's lots of stages that you, you can still go through with your own governing body. Um, you know, we don't want to jump in halfway through the, the process. So, as, you know, as people are now um, cottoning on and, and asking the question, as Colin uh, has said, I think, in the King of the Kipax columns and with the, the, the video we did yesterday on this subject, why is it taking them so long? Have they been waiting for potentially UEFA to finish their investigations and come up with something? What's been going on? Have UEFA been waiting for the, for CAS? I, I, you know, as Colin said yesterday, maybe UEFA were waiting for CAS to get them off the hook. You know, maybe they were thinking that CAS will say, yes, UEFA, you've done something wrong here or you've not fallen due process and thrown it out. And that gets UEFA off the hook without having to do anything, without having to, uh, you know, let uh, the devil on, it, on one side um, let them down. Um, so who knows where the, the truth lies? Colin, don't you think that City and their lawyers would have known that there was nothing that CAS could have really done given the stage that they were at? Uh, well, yes, in theory, and as Ray rightly said, Cass could have just looked at this and said, hang on, guys, um, have, you, have you had a final decision on this from UEFA? The answer is no. Therefore, hang on till you do. So, as Ray said, it's a great mystery that what, why Cass sat on this for so long. City's lawyers would have known that. They, they, you know, and even since I spoke to Ray yesterday, I, I, you know, I've kind of thought through a, a reason why this talk about that in a minute. But yeah, City's lawyers, they would have been well aware of, of, of the rules, UEFA's rules. But the only thing I can think of is that the abuse of process was so blatant that they felt they had grounds to mount an appeal straight away. It, it does seem a little bit of a preemptive strike to mount an appeal against a decision that hasn't been made yet. It does all seems a little bit odd. Maybe it was a warning shot to UEFA, but UEFA would have known would have known it was a um, fake bullet. Um, I forget what the, the actual term is. Blank. A blank. A blank. A blank. A blank ammunition. Yeah, yeah. City were firing a blank. So unless UEFA was seriously concerned about their own uh, lack of process. Well, it, it, it could be that City were firing the blank and just to warn UEFA, because we didn't go to CAS back in 2014 or, you know, we didn't go to CAS and we could have, I, I believe, gone to CAS then. And maybe the city were just firing that blank to say, hang on, you wafer. Next time, it might be a real bullet. This time, it's just a blank. But next time, you, you go and, you know, you do it again. You try anything on, we'll put a real bullet in that gun and see what you do then. Yeah, this is where it gets really fascinating, guys. Um, you, that explanation of why City made the application to uh, CAS uh, the one that's been given by you two guys seems to make sense in terms of a shot across the bows that might have had um, uh, an, an effect on, on on UEFA and their scheming. But where it gets really fascinating, uh, Colin, is to to talk about some of the the theories of what was going on during the five months. And I, I think you've had, as you said, a few a few ideas about that. Uh, yeah. Um... I say, CAS could have rejected this in five minutes, not just five months. And UEFA could have made a decision in that time. So the great puzzle for me, and all the journalists kind of gleefully reporting, City's appeal has been lost. Well, it hasn't been lost because it hasn't been heard. 
it's probably more correct to say City's appeal has uh, been failed, uh, as in failed to be heard, or or Kaz has, um, even Simon Stone got it right, and Simon Stone's getting it right. There's no excuse for everyone else. <laughs> uh, um, and he, mind you, probably because he's too dumb to make something up, but um, he was reported that Kaz had ruled our appeal inadmissible, which was the right phrase to use, because as we already said, to you know, ad nauseam, the, the full UEFA process has not been exhausted yet. So, so, so what the hell's been going on for five months? Why didn't Kaz reject it straight away? The only thing I could think of was, and I say, UEFA and Kaz are separate bodies. That there was no commonality between them, other than Kaz is the uh, recognised escalation route for UEFA decisions with which you disagree. So, my, my thought last night was. Well, you know, why has this taken so long? And no journalist has picked this up. No journalist is asking the question or, or, or is trying to get information of why this went on so long. So, so I came up with this um, sound like convoluted theory of why it all took so long. So our original case for making the appeal centred on lack of process in passing this decision to their adjudicatory chamber. Now, let, let's suppose Kaz, without, instead of dismissing the appeal, they have a look at it and say, well, you know, before we decide what to do, let's see if there's if there is a case here. So, so maybe they're talking to UEFA or they're talking to certainly talking to City. Maybe they're talking to UEFA um, and they, they get, they're not getting answers from UEFA that, that give them any satisfaction. And, and we know how deals are done in, you know, behind closed doors in, in, a lot of the time in these situations. So, so maybe Kaz is saying to UEFA, look. You haven't played by your rules here. And, and if City, if we do hear an appeal, we, we will almost certainly be minded to uh, uphold City's appeal on the basis of abuse of process. You haven't, you haven't given them the required hearing that they should have had and that it, the whole process has not been fair. Uh, and that any adjudicatory chamber hearing that you're planning to do would be prejudiced by what you didn't do in the original investigation between March and April. So UEFA take that on board and think, ah, you know, th- this is an issue. W- one thing that kind of mitigates against that potential is I've always said UEFA would love this, love CAS to get rid of this case for them because then it keeps their hands clean. They can say they did all they can. And maybe th- there's been some conversation going on and maybe court for arbitration is saying to UEFA, we are not going to settle this for you. We are not, not, not going to let you make a cock up of this case. Uh, and not uphold your own rules so that we can throw the case out and, and leave you smelling of roses. So, so let's assume that these, my theory anyway, is that these discussions have been going on for a while. And what Kaz, UEFA and City presumably have been trying to do is to try and find an outcome which satisfies, well, probably satisfies nobody particularly, but satisfies everybody in some way. Kaz maybe have wanted assurances from UEFA given to City that the adjudicatory chamber will take steps to ensure that City's case is heard in full in in a way which City don't feel it was in the original decision. Maybe they all could put their heads together and come out with a result, uh, an agreed result for this. And that, that to me, would explain why suddenly we get a tweet saying City aren't going to face a ban. The indications are the City aren't going to face a ban. Kaz suddenly ruled that the appeal is inadmissible. 
and Cas said at the time, and UEFA said at the time, that, that, that City's appeal to cows does not have any bearing on their ability. So, so there's no clock stopping. There's no there's no um, element of, of correlation between the appeal to Cas and UEFA carrying on to hear the case because that's been publicly clear. But my strong my suspicion is strong suspicion is there have been movements behind the scenes between the three impacted parties to try and come to some agreed result before the official process starts again. So, so that's, oh. that's that's my reading of events. So yeah. that we've got. We've got an agreed result, but it looks like the, the official process is going to grind through and deliver. And, you know, it's a bit like a Russian show trial in, in, in some ways where, you know, the, the, the judges knew if you watch that, that uh, Chernobyl uh, excellent miniseries, the judges knew, knew what evidence they wanted to hear and they knew what the outcome was going to be. Uh, and all the evidence made very little difference to mm-hmm. that. Uh, well, uh, except they didn't want to hear evidence that, that was broadly contradictory of their outcome. So I suspect... There's a little bit of that has, has gone on here. Maybe the whole, it, there was a bit of a logjam and maybe Kaz saying, right, well, let's take this forward. Now allows the case to run, but with, run with a known outcome. See, it's interesting to me that the first leak was to this Tariq Panja fella. And the suspicion is that's come from possibly David Gill. But the second leak, uh, the, the, the one where it's, it appears that City won't be facing a, a Champions League ban, Potential Champions League ban. It's from a it's from a different source, so it's not gone to Tariq Panja, and it's not come through allegedly David Gill. It's come from a different source, and it could quite possibly be that, as Colin has said, Kaz were talking to UEFA. UEFA were talking to Kaz behind the scenes quietly, and Kaz were just waiting for something to happen. And that maybe that something is somewhere in the internal workings of UEFA. This recommendation, or it could be that. At some point, some, there's been a meeting, a discussion, uh, or whatever, uh, and they just people are thinking, well, let's let's not um, try to ban them. Let's just give them a fine or, or whatever. Someone maybe a, someone's misheard or misread something, but they've given the leak. So maybe there's some paperwork or a meeting or something's happened where not formally that they're going to announce that they're not there's not going to be any uh, potential for a ban, but something internals happened. And there's some paperwork, as I said, an email or a minister to a meeting. Someone's got wind of this, maybe seen a photocopy or what, however it's happened. And that's got to the Athletic, who've done their uh, exclusive. And then it's gone to Cass as well. Or, or maybe something had been sent to Cass and uh, where UEFA said, Cass, look, this is what we're probably going to do. You know, we've had our meetings and we don't think, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Cass said, all right, we might as well. If, if you were for going down that line, we might as well come out and say what we're going to say now. Now's as good a time as any. We know what the outcome is going to be, and we might as well finish our involvement right here and now. But it's all conjecture. We're all, you know, uh, just guess, trying to guess. Yeah. Some some of us are more uh, educated guesses than others, but I think we're just trying to guess as to what's gone on and why it's gone on. Well, that theory does seem to make... Uh, uh quite good sense. I mean, they are an arbitration body, so that's what they do. They get people together and knock heads together and see if they can get an agreement. And this this decision, the latest one, just to announce that um, that CAS have uh, made their decision that uh, it, the city's um, appeal to them is inadmissible, is simply uh, to clear the way for UEFA to, to go forward and do what they're going to do. And it seems that 
there is not going to be a ban, but there may be a fine. Now, the only thing with problem with that, Colin, is I'm not entirely sure Mr. Khaldun al-Mubarak would be be particularly minded to, to take a fine because um, that that sort of slight admission of guilt that 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 city don't believe that they have. Uh, well, yes, it's um, certainly all the indications from city are that they they took the pinch last time when they felt they've been shafted and they weren't going to allow that to happen the second time. But of course, if we've been involved in um, negotiating. Um, punishment or, or non-punishment as we may have been we're speculating we may have been this time that, that maybe that's been kind of squared away uh, and maybe it'd be a case of um well you know we're not happy it, because i said before uefa is a political organization whatever it does someone's going to be very unhappy so if it if it finds us not guilty then uh, you know all the parties say that have been whispering in, in its left ear p- people like tebas like like parry like gill uh, and others um, then, then, then they're going to be extremely unhappy. If they find us guilty and ban us, we're going to be extremely unhappy, and we've got the option to take them to Kaz and to uh, and to under, undertake a legal, full legal process. We see this in politics all the time, don't we? They've got to tread a very fine line where, where perhaps um, no one is entirely happy, but everyone is happy to some degree. Uh, and maybe, maybe it's been settled with City that we will take some pinch again and on the understanding that this goes away for good. Suspended sanction or something like that. It may be a, a 10,000 euro fine for a, an accounting technicality, irregular, te- a technical accounting irregularity or something like that. You know, you just don't know, do you? We just don't know. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out shortly. Uh, Ray, one thing that we can talk about just to, to finish this, this pod off is uh, to answer to, to answer the question that Duncan Castles has been starting to ask and and tweet about, and uh, in anticipation of there being a very very lenient reaction from UEFA, everyone seems to agree there's not going to be a ban, and it's you know it's doubtful whether there would be a significant penalty. He asks the question: When this happens, is this the death of FFP? It could well be. I mean. I can't see the big clubs in Europe just wanting to accept it's the death of FFP. Um, will will they all just turn around and say, look, there's nothing we can do about City, they're here, and PSG, they're here to stay. But it's not just about City and PSG. It's about, you know, if, if FFP disappears, it's about the Wolves out there, you know, as in Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, it's, it's about teams like, clubs like them, who have got, very, very strong backers. They've got bundles and, you know, billions and billions of pounds. And you could see someone like, for argument's sake, uh, I don't know who's in the, in the G14, but one of the clubs, or two or three, the, say the Italian clubs, maybe one or two of the Spanish clubs, um, looking at it and saying, well, you know, Leicester have got billionaire owners, multi-billionaire owners, uh, Wolves have. Look at what they're doing right now. Look at how much money they're spending right now under FFP. They're still spending tons of money under FFP because England is the strongest financial league in the world. Um, and their worry would be that if you just open the doors so they can spend whatever they like, maybe some of these clubs will just absolutely just storm ahead. I mean, actually, some of the Italian clubs, um, if if the handcuffs were removed from them, I think some of them, they've got some Chinese backers as well. So you could suddenly get lots of clubs pouring money in 
uh, lots of owners, sorry, pouring money into clubs all over the all over the place. Um, you know, Red Bull, for instance, maybe they, you know, with, with the handcuffs taken off, turn around and say, well, we'll spend two or three hundred million pounds. Why not? And you can see some of the, especially the Spanish clubs. I think they'll have a problem with that because they haven't got the same sort of ownership structure uh, that other other leagues have. So. I can't see them just saying we don't want. I think they want some sort of regulation just to stop um, the the spiraling of uh, of spending that other clubs can can afford. And they look at it and, and say, look, look where City have come. Look how strong City are, for instance, and um, to a lesser extent, PSG under FFP. Can you imagine what it would have been like if there was no FFP? Can you, you know, we're just guessing, but who would have been? Two of the top, I would say the top five strongest clubs in Europe. I think City and, and PSG probably would have been there because they'd have just, if they wanted to, spent uh, whatever they needed. Certainly PSG would have spent whatever it, it, it took to get to the top, uh, to get to the pinnacle of European football, win that Champions League and be uh, the latter stages of that competition, um, all the time. So they, I can't see, you know, La Liga, for instance. Um, turning around and saying we don't want something. I think they want some sort of financial um, constraints on new entrants to the top table. Um, I don't think FFP will just get uh, thrown out. I think it might just be made weaker slightly um, so people can spend a, a little bit more money. And we've already seen that um, happen with some some of the Italian clubs have got away a with that. And we've seen it being watered down ever so slightly. So maybe it'll get watered down a little bit more but still leave have a little degree of difficulty for new clubs to come along and suddenly say we're going to spend five hundred million pounds this year on new players um, because FFP isn't there. Penny, for your thoughts, Colin Savage, on the the, the potential ramifications of City not receiving a strong sanction in this case. Say it depends on what City may or may not have agreed behind the scenes on this, um, and you know there'll be the usual howls of outcry, howls of anguish from Liverpool and United fans and, and, and whatever. Uh, I, I think Ray made a, a, a very good point that um, I don't think it has, uh, you know, Duncan, we know Duncan talks a lot of crap, but I, I don't, it's not the end for FFP. I, I, I think Ray was quite right on that. I think I think that, that you, you only have to look at the, the local area here, Bolton, uh, Berry, Macclesfield, Oldham, that there is a need for strong, effective financial regulation in football to stop clubs getting themselves into trouble. You know, the, the case of uh, Ray talked about, you know, clubs putting hundreds of millions um, of pounds in. You, you only have to look at Gretna, uh, who had a benefactor, a guy called Miles Brookson, uh, who put um, millions of pounds into a, a Scottish, you know, non-league club and took them to the Scottish Premier League. Uh, and unfortunately, when he took ill and died, and the money, di- the money, uh, the funding dried up, that they just disappeared as a club. You, you really don't want things like, despite the fact you went in there with the best of intentions, you really don't want things like that happening. Uh, I had a bit of a go at the ping pong plunker, uh, as someone memory described Sorry. it, Matthew Sayer, who talked about our dubious balance sheet, and I challenged him to to show what was dubious about the, about the balance sheet with re- regard to financial fair play, as financial fair play doesn't look at the balance sheet in any way, shape or form. I don't think it's a very good, particularly good form of regulation. And I've spoken to a number of people far more uh, versed in the financial aspects of football than me, including people like Kieran Maguire, who does the Price of Football uh, blog, to, I spoke to a couple of other people, 
all well versed in this field, and, and all of them agreed with me completely that, that financial fair play, as as it's drafted, is not an effective barrier to good. Reg- it's not effective regulation, so it's not an effective barrier to clubs getting into trouble. So there could be a positive so, outcome to all of this, guys, because it could result in the fact that uh, that FFP is is recalibrated uh, to focus on debt rather than investment. But that won't serve the purposes of the. Uh, of the top clubs in Europe, because uh, in, in some respects, I mean, it certainly won't serve United. They'll not be happy with something like that. And some of the other clubs who've got uh, big debts on the balance sheet. Barcelona, Real Madrid are in huge debts. And they, they, these clubs are relying, basically relying on that debt to, to, to keep them going, so to speak. Um, if, they, if, they were, if they were suddenly told, well, sorry, you know, you've got to have um, a maximum of whatever, 5% debt on your books, Compared to whatever the balance sheet total is, and that's going to you know, suddenly United are going to have to pay off a big chunk of their debt, which I don't, you know, it's going to be extremely expensive, and it's going to affect them on the on the pitch probably for years to come. And I, I suspect that could happen in Barcelona, Madrid as well. So I can't see them um, really, really going for it. There has to be. I mean, we've said it for since FFP came in. There has to be something on, on the balance sheet um, to stop. Rogue owners, we've seen it locally in Bury and Bolton, rogue owners coming along and the chances, charlatans taking a punt and then stripping assets and disappearing and leaving a club out of existence. And you know, Colin talked about the uh, Brooks Mileson from Gretna and I think um, that was a great case. A club formed in, was it 2002, after Adrianians disappeared. I think they went out of business because of money. And they, you know, Brooks Mileson pumped a lot of money and they went through, I think they went through the leagues the town is about less than 3,000, uh, was it less than 3,000 people yeah. in Gretna? So tiny, tiny place. But they were they were motoring. And then when he sadly passed, the money dried up and they went out of business. And I think that's wrong as well. So you can't just rely. There's got to be proper processes and, and rules in place to, to make sure that if you, you cannot rely just on one wealthy benefactor. You know, we talked about this with Kieran Maguire, I think, as well, a few months back, Colin. Well, you yeah, can't just have one, yeah, one wealthy person who's propping up the club. You've got to have a, better, a, a stronger structure there and it'll go out of business. And it's not, you know, FFP can work across the board. It can work up, you know, it might, you might have to tweak it, but it should be working for small clubs like Bury and Bolton, as well as big clubs like Man City, Man United and Liverpool and Barcelona. So it should, it should be able to, some, in some form, work across the board. Now, you might have a slightly different FFP for the bigger clubs than you have for the smaller clubs. I mean, you've got the, um, um, the EFL have got their own FFP for whatever good that does. And it's a different to uh, the Premier League's or UEFA's the way of looking at things. So there, there has to be something. Um, and as I said, just focusing on more on the debt, which is probably where it should be, and th- that actually causes the demise of clubs. It's not the PL account. You know, if Berry and Bolton can't pay their debts, well, they're going to they're gonna go belly up. So there has to be something, but I, I, I just can't see the big clubs who've got the power agreeing to, uh, to for it to be focused on debt. Guys, uh, here's uh, just one uh, final point just for us to finish off in. Now, this will make you laugh. I'm absolutely sure that you will scorn this, but there was a funny tweet um, that someone posted to the effect that if City get the outcome that they want in this uh, particular case with UEFA and they get the kind of uh, leniency that uh, that you guys have been talking about, <laughs> here comes the tweet. The shackles will be off and City will start 
paying for players the kinds of amounts that you've seen the other big rivals in Europe pay. So the question is, will this have any effect on City's spending in the future? Will they move above? You know that City are, uh, tend to, when they buy new players, they, they, they have been sort of shopping in the 50 to 70 million uh, euro market. Do you think it would make, Colin, first of all, any difference uh, would would the shackles come off? I actually don't think yeah, it's quite funny, but I don't think they will, because at the end of the day, I suppose we could do. But as I've said before, City's cash flow seems to prop up the rest of CFG. And um, we seem to be on, on, on an instruction, regardless of FFP, to work within our own means. And we're even borrowing money forward. You know, we're, we're, we're doing one of these loans secured against future media income to, to buy players so i suppose it's possible the shackles could come off but i just i think the financial discipline is built into the club now and i don't think anything that, that happens from here on in really impacts that yeah what are your thoughts on that ray i, I totally agree i mean you can see what we, we obviously you could see what happened at the start of uh of uh, shape Manchester's uh ownership of the club uh where we were yes we were throwing money left right and center um, but in, in recent years, you can see, you know, we're not overly spending, you know, last summer before last, we had Riyad Mahrez, 60 million quid. And that was about it. And we still, we sold a lot of players as well, young players, and, and we recoup most of that money anyway. Last, this summer just gone off the top of my head. I mean, okay, Rodri and Joao Cancelo uh, cost us a fair bit, but off the top of my head, we spent about probably about 130, 140 million this summer, but we did get, Rid of a few players like Delph and uh, uh, Danilo and one or two others to get some money back. So we're not overly spending right now. I, I don't see uh, if we get away with not get away with this. Sorry, I changed my words here. If 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 this case disappears, <laughs> what a Freudian uh, slip! You know, a, a Freudian slip from an accountant. You know, oh dear, I've, I've spent two hours, you know, getting this uh, image out there. That's it, and then I'm just letting it out. No, but if if once this case is is over and done with. We're not going to go around splashing the cash because, as Colin has said, and we've seen in the last few years, we're not throwing tons of money around. I think we can if we want to. We have got that capacity if we if we needed to. But, we, you know, we're still almost at the top of the Premier League. We're doing we, – we should be doing better in Europe, but we're almost at the, you know, near the top of the uh, – in, in the Champions League as well. So what is the necessity to go and spend another three or four hundred million pounds? It, it, who knows? Honestly, who knows? If F FFP disappeared, maybe Shape Man Sue would say, it's damn bloody time. We won that Champions League. Yeah, we, we, you know, I've, I've done it the, the, the right way. We're knocking on the door. We're knocking on the door. We're not getting anywhere. Let's go. You know, uh, you know, I don't know how old he is he's in his early 40s. He says, you know, I'm not, I'm not spring chicken anymore. Let's go and spend 500 million. Let's make it happen. He, that might, he might say that, but all the indications are that that won't happen. Yeah, I think you're you're right there. So there there you have it, guys. Far from ruining football, we have morphed into a model of fiscal prudence. And I think that is a, a good point for us to just finish up this pod. Guys, I hope you uh, enjoyed it. Uh, no doubt there'll be uh, further developments and uh, you'll be able to catch up with them if you continue listening to the Bolt from the Blue uh, podcast where you'll always have myself and Ray and Colin, God willing, and uh, let's just leave it there and uh, just uh, express our gratitude to uh, our two uh, BFTB members here for, for their insight. They've been doing great work on following up all of these stories and rumors. 
and it's led to this particular uh, podcast. And also, uh, if you go and check out Ray's channel, City Fan uh, TV, you'll be able to see uh, a one-to-one interview between Ray and Colin on on these matters as well. Okay, so listen, Colin Savage, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. And to you too, Ray. Thank you very much, uh, Mike. Now that I'm apparently being called a finance expert again, I better go and get my accounting standards out and my uh, tax books. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, guys, well, we'll just leave it there and we'll say uh, adieu in the normal way. Um, have one on us, guys, and up the blues. <laughs> It's about time that your mind took a holiday